This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Two Robbies podcast, your destination for in-depth discussion and analysis of every Premier League match week and the Champions League. I'm Robbie Earl, and I've not got Robbie Musto. I've got a special guest today. Danny Higginbottom joins me here. Nice to have you, Dan. And here are today's topics. Liverpool is at home for the first time in the Premier League since 2017 against Burnley. Manchester United go top thanks to Paul Pogba. Leicester City beat Chelsea, putting more pressure on Frank Lampard. Manchester City winning controversial style as Dean Smith sees red. Get Emrico Bamiang scores twice to get all three points for Arsenal against Newcastle. And West Ham United continue to impress by moving up to seventh under David Moyes. That's what we have for you on the way in today's episode. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Okay, Dan, great to have you on, mate. Um, Likewise. Always, always great to have a, a different voice and a different perspective. Let's start off with the reigning champions. I think this was the headline from, from the midweek. Liverpool, 68 Premier League games unbeaten at home, faced a Burnley team who were at the wrong end of the table and struggling certainly for goals and points. And Liverpool end up losing the game. Mo Salah, Bobby Firmino were left on the bench. What was your sort of takeaway from the day, from Jurgen Klopp losing a bit of control at half-time and Liverpool mm. certainly now being six points short of the leaders at the top of the table. I must admit, Robbie, I was really surprised with the team selection. Um, I mm. think that when you look at Firmino, when you look at Salah, and you think to yourself, OK, not great form at the moment. Salah's still top of the, the scoring charts in the Premier League. And mm. I thought that Jurgen Klopp would have allowed the players to actually play through the, the little bit of... 
um, the, the little bit of a situation they find themselves in where they're not in the greatest of forms. But he didn't. He decided to yeah. change, and he brings in Origi. You know, no yeah. Premier League goal this season. Um, Oxley Chamberlain came in as well. No Premier League goal this season. And the problem that I think Liverpool had was that they wanted to play the same way as if Salah were in the team or as if Firmino were in the team. But what happened was, was that players just keep kept getting in each other's way. And Burnley defended fantastically. And I don't think we can forget about that. But I just think that the lineup was probably music to, to Sean Dyche's ears. And I think it only fueled fueled more fire to, towards the Burnley players in terms of maybe looking at it and thinking Liverpool with disrespect to them. But I don't know mm. what your thoughts were, were on the lineup yourself. Um. I get the, the thought. I think the, the Burnley point, and, and it is a good point, I, I think in some respects, Jurgen Klopp has to pick his team regardless of what Burnley think and whether it's interpreted. Now, I, I'm like you. I suppose if I'm in the, the Burnley dressing room and I see the, 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 the team sheet, the first thing I think is, cool, got a chance here. Mm-hmm. The boy's not playing. Second thing is, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm totally on the, you know, the disrespecters. If they want to rest their top players because they think, oh, we're only playing as it was for me, Wimbledon, maybe for you at Southampton or uh, Sunderland, and, and they want to rest, that's, that's their prerogative. But I, I, I get what you termed in, ter- in terms of, come on, you know, that, we, got, we got a chance here. I mean, the bigger thing for me was the, the decision to, to, to rest or drop, however you look at it, and I don't know how Jurgen Klopp's saying it, but to, to not play Salah and, and, and Firmino. Now, I think it's one of those where... The manager's looked at him and he's, he's, he's got two decisions to make. You're quite right. Do I let these guys play through this position and, and continue to go and hope that one of them has a muscle memory, has a moment, starts a go- gets a goal that sparks him? Or do I need to rest him, take him out of it, give him a bit of a mental and physical break? Now, I remember we had this, me and Robbie must have had a sort of semi-discussion mm-hmm. about Aubameyang and was saying, you know, should he be rested? Goals weren't coming. And he didn't have a particularly good first half the other day um, for, for Arsenal. But in fairness to him against Newcastle, he got his, he got his first goal when a typical Aubameyang got himself one-on-one with the defender, switched to his left foot, bang. It was, that was almost just like a natural instinct. And I just mm. wondered whether, if you play Mo Salah, if you play Bobby Firmino, might one of those natural instinct moments come that allows them to, to play through the funk? I think, yeah... I think there's an argument for that. I, I think personally, you know, that's that's how I would have done things. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm not a manager. Jurgen Klopp's yeah, got an unbelievable yeah, reputation, yeah. quite rightly so. But mm. I think what happens is with with this Liverpool team, you know, one of one of the strengths of Liverpool has always been the fact that every player in the team makes the player next to him stronger. But that can also have a detrimental effect as well because when you take Salah out of the team, when you take Firmino out of the team, you're actually affecting players around them. Because we know Trent Alexander-Arnold him, himself and Salah have got an unbelievable understanding. Salah likes to drift inside. That creates a space for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold. That was mm. obviously not happening as much today, although Trent Alexander-Arnold did get forward a lot. But what happens is, is that if you've got a couple of players in the Liverpool team that, that are struggling for a little bit of form, it affects mm. the rest of the team because every player makes the player around them a better player. And as much as that can be a strength, that can also end up being a little bit of a weakness as well. And I think that's what's happening with Liverpool at the moment. Because a few of the players are underperforming, it's affecting mm. everybody within the team. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a situation that Klopp needs to sort out without question. It's interesting because I, 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 I tried to look, I looked, I had a little look through um, the Liverpool form. Mm. And 
you know, top four still, and, and you know, some will suggest not out of it. You know, maybe the, the, the picture and the narratives change a little bit for Liverpool. But I kind of went, I wanted to look and, and, and think back, and I, I was trying to say to myself, when have we had, when last have we had a real, what I call Liverpool performance, an intense, oppressing, uh, heavy metal football that Jurgen Klopp was known about? And, and I know people might say, well, we put seven past Crystal Palace. Mm. By the way, they had eight shots that day, scored seven goals, and if you broke the game down into chunks of play, wasn't a particularly brilliant Liverpool performance, although that sounds strange. They, they were efficient and got the goals. So I started to go back and I, there was a, a 3-0 win again against Leicester City, I think in around November, where Johnny Evans scored an own goal first and mm. Liverpool went on. But it's been a while since we've seen one of those, wow, manic, intense, Liverpool on the front foot, high press, winning the ball, front three combinations. And so in some respects... Kind of what we, we're seeing is what's coming out of a team that's not really played that well for a while. It, it isn't, you know. I, I know, I know we've we've overdone, and so so as everybody else, they've overdone the Van Dyke effect on on Liverpool. Mm. They're talking mm. about them defensively. Defensively, they're actually, I think, in a better place than what they were at this stage. Goals, goals wise, yeah, stats wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in mm. terms of what they've conceded, the mm. problem is, is that. With Van Dijk in the team, the team can play yeah. a high line. So because they're playing a high line, it means that their press can be, you know, it's just a continuous press. Opposition can't get themselves back into position. They can't reset. But without yeah. Van Dijk in the team, naturally, the defenders are going to drop a little bit deep because there's not as much not as much uh, pace to cover any counterattacks from the opposition. So what happens is the opposition can clear the ball and there's more gaps. Yes, Liverpool will pick the ball up, but it's taking longer for Liverpool to pick the ball up and recycle it. That enables then the opposition, whether they're playing a back three, a back five or a back four, to get back into position. Because if you look at last season and the success that Liverpool have, have had, it's been opposition plays out of position because they've been dragged all over the place. But teams are having time to reset now. And I think the press is affecting is affecting mm-hmm. Liverpool's in terms of the opportunities that they're creating. And I think it's also affecting them as in terms of the defensive side as well. Mm. I look at today's game, Dan, and I, I kind of, you know, bigger picture, you know, the, the individuals, I mean, Martip came back in the team and, and didn't particularly do anything wrong, although got caught up, I thought, in a physical fight with Ashley Barnes, which is exactly what Ashley Barnes yeah. and, and Burnley want. Um, there was no Henderson, not quite sure why that was in the middle of the field. So Thiago um, with Shakiri and Wijnaldum next to him, Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right. Disappointed a little bit in Oxley chamberlain I've got to admit. I, I just feel like his season's gone a bit flat. I thought when mm. he came in, he showed against Arsenal before he had those knee injuries. He was a guy with dynamic speed, could change the, 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 alter the, the chemistry of the game. That seems to be missing from, from his game. And it's something almost Liverpool could do with now. There's no jotter. He's been out for, I think, it's a couple more weeks. Obviously, they were shorter up front. And I just thought... Could be a day for Ox to show us his importance to the group, and it didn't really happen for him again. No, it 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 didn't, and you know, I I thought that Oxlade Chamberlain would have started in a midfield three with mm. with uh, with Shakiri and and the the right of a front three. Yeah. But what happened was was that it was Oxlade Chamberlain that, that was higher up, and what we saw before Oxlade Chamberlain's injury, when he was playing in that midfield three at times, he had that ability. I think one of the games in particular against Manchester City, Manchester City, yeah, field, yeah. Yeah, and was was magnificent. And obviously, I think that's where he is at his best. And I think that's what Liverpool are lacking a little bit, goal scorers from midfield to break forward. And one other thing I wanted to touch on as well 
is that we've seen in recent weeks things haven't been going Liverpool's way. And when you look at leaders within the Liverpool team, within the Liverpool squad, you talk about Milner, who's obviously not playing at the moment, Henderson, who didn't play today, Van Dijk that's been out. And those players now are few and far between that among that obviously amongst the quality that they have in their squad set them apart last mm. season they they could smell when danger was coming they could smell when the game was turning a little bit and i just feel that when you haven't got henderson van dyke and milner in the team when you haven't got those three players in the team or two of the three or one of the three whatever it may be it can alter the way that the team plays because the team may carry on regardless because they haven't necessarily gotten loads of leaders on the pitch that can mm. that can direct that can just say right let's batten down the hatches just for these next 15 20 minutes see how a little bit of pressure and we'll go again so leaders are being missed not just for, not just for the quality that they bring on the pitch mm. but also the reassurance and the leadership that they give just take that point and, and there's a couple of things i just wanted to to before we move on and, and yeah. give burnley a bit of love which which we should certainly do mm. they, they won the game and, and defended magnificently but just in terms of liverpool i mean it's it, you know, to win the title back to back has been done very few times. Man City, United, Chelsea, um, but it's been you know very few times through the Premier League era. And it, I get a sense that almost like last year, Liverpool with a fairy tale story. Thirty years of wait, you know, pandemic came, they found a way. The football was was you know breathtaking, mm. and they won the title, and everybody was kind of with them, and it was a great story. And I think there's a reality that I think is slightly caught Jurgen Klopp a little bit by surprise how in English football the moment you've won it the following season well you know day by day you know 30 more years for Liverpool it's like they're done let's have another story now is it United's comeback is it Leicester doing it again is it you know the resurgence of of Man City can Jose win one more spin it's almost like the groundswell of that you know for Liverpool last season will go against you as champions it it turns that's what English football that's the way English nature is and and the point I, I think I'm getting to with with Liverpool is we've seen a different Jurgen Klopp over the last three four weeks. A little bit frustrated, I think, with, with his team and situations. A little bit snappy at, at, at mm. journalists and reporters and things. You talk about leadership. I just wonder uh, your thought on not is it fault because it isn't a fault to blame. But has is, is, is this affected his leadership the way he's running his football club? Yeah, I think so to a certain extent. You can't help love Klopp because what you see mm. is what you get. Absolutely. But sometimes you probably have to try and hide those emotions a little bit because it, it, it will affect the players. There's no doubt about it, Jurgen Klopp. You know, he's you don't become a bad manager overnight. He's still in top three managers in world football. You know, I'll, I'll put yeah. him in the same bracket as Guardiola. He's absolutely phenomenal. And his, his emotions probably do get the better of him sometimes. He probably looks back at certain instances and go, oh, why did I react like that? But what can happen yeah. is that can, that can then obviously affect your players. And, and, and it's important, I think, as a manager that, that you don't get too high, you don't get too low. And to be fair, after the game today, sorry, I, yeah, after, after the game, he was brilliant. Mm. He took full yeah. responsibility, took any yeah. pressure off his players, which is what you want to see a manager. That's what the yeah. great managers do. And I think we just have to be honest at the moment. And when we look at the teams, if you look at Manchester United, better than what they were last season. Manchester City, arguments say, better than what they were last season. Tottenham, better than last season. Leicester, better than last season. Liverpool, take Van Dijk out of that team. They're one of the teams in the top four or five that aren't actually that are actually a lesser team than what they were last season because of a huge play that they've lost, arguably the best centre-back in the world. So it's going to affect them. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Let, let's talk about a manager who did his job and I think mm-hmm. spoke really well after the game and saying, we've come to fight, we believe in ourselves, we can win the game. I mean, what a, what a coup for, sure, for Sean Dyche and his team. 68 games unbeaten Liverpool at home and, and they come along with their kind of misfits and nomads and, and journeymen in some respects. It is not, not high profile in, in, in any way but deserved the victory and I thought defended magnificently. And I know you want to talk about the team and one player in particular. Yeah, I I thought Burnley were were absolutely magnificent. Um, Start of every season, they may start off in the bottom three at times or, you know, take a bit of time to get out of it. Never in a relegation fight as far as I'm concerned because they've got know-how, they've got players that have been there and done it. But they've got a huge unity amongst the players as well. And I think nobody more than Ben Mee actually shows that. The understanding that he has with Tarkovsky has been absolutely incredible. And when you look, when you go back a few games, you go to Manchester City, they got beat, uh, they got beat five nil, and the ten games since they've conceded five, which is mm. absolutely magnificent. I think Tarkovsky and Ben Mee is one of the top centre back partnerships in the Premier League. They don't get the respect that they deserve. I think Burnley seen as an unfashionable club, the way that they play football, the manager and things like that, which I don't agree with. I don't think they get anywhere near enough credit. Sean Dyche the yeah. is everybody that's involved in it. They've got players in the England squad. Sean Dyche has improved so many of the players. And when I look at Ben Mee, he's scored in recent weeks. I think he got the winner against mm-hmm. Sheffield United. He is one of he's a throwback player he's a player that loves to defend he loves to put his body in the way he's not afraid he's not afraid to get hurt and yeah. when you've got him as a captain in the team who leads by example others will follow and he's mm. absolutely brilliant and there are so many players in that team that are a clone of Sean Dyche Sean Dyche was a very good footballer himself but he knew his strengths he knew his weaknesses and that's Burnley they play to their strengths don't try to concern themselves with their weaknesses and they'll make no apologies, no apologies for it whatsoever. Absolutely. So, Danny Higginbottom's underappreciated, underappreciated form of the week goes to Ben Mee and I, I'd like to echo the same sentiments. Ben Mee's an absolute diamond to have and I tell you what I've always said with Ben Mee, you look at the partners who he plays with, all get better. Michael Keane was one and, and ends up at Everton. Tarkovsky, they're talking about 30, 40, 50 million of Leicester. Okay. He doesn't have- he doesn't often get the, get the credit, but yeah, Ben Mee, uh, it's a good shout and uh, brilliant performance and win for Burnley um, that you know keeps them away from the bottom of the table. And for Liverpool, unfortunately, they'll have to go 68 eight games more at home unbeaten if uh, to get that record back again. Let's move it on to Manchester United, uh, mm. who continue to put a good streak of form together, a winning streak of, of form together. Uh, away from home now, it, it, it um, continue. I think it's over a year now since Manchester United, Manchester United lost away from home. Uh, that was at Liverpool, I think, was the, the uh, 2-0 loss when um, Mo Salah runs one end to the other. But Manchester United, Danny, Danny Higginbottom, are part of the conversation for the title. They are, definitely. And what I've really liked about Manchester United and, and what they've done is they got knocked out of the Champions League and it was mm-hmm. the end of the world. It was like, oh, you know, social once again, how many times you hear it, he's on Borough, yeah. he's on Borough, yeah. so this, that and what have you. Since then, yeah. they've gained 21 points from a possible 27 and gone from, I think, six to first in the Premier League. So yeah. they've reacted from that. What he's done as well, he's getting the best out of his players, Paul Pogba, 
you know, there, there was a lot of talk of him going to be leaving the club. Can he play in the same team as Fernandez? He's shown that he's capable of doing that. They've shown the resilience, the, the amount of times they, they've gone behind away from home in the Premier League, come back every time they've conceded first, they, they've won the game. Not something that Solskjaer wants to see happening, but he shows the resilience of, of yeah. the team. And just the progression of players. And what I like about Solskjaer is something that he's never diverted about what he's wanted to do. When he first came into the club, I had a conversation with me told and he said to me this is how i want to play the game this is how i see the game and he's never diverted away from that it's always been the same he wants a younger squad he wants dynamism in the team he wants players to play with freedom in the final third and as much as he's done on the pitch we also have to remember what he's done off the pitch as well he's got rid of a lot of players that he didn't necessarily see had a future at the club he's really picked the team up and everybody's playing for him now and i just feel that they're in this great run of form and without question they, they have to be considered title contenders in the position that they're in now. Where, yeah. Where do you go? Um as part of the conversation. Yes. Uh, certainly. Uh probably got or in a in a period of the best defensive feel about the football team that I've seen for a while, back four. By you played this time. It's interesting maybe when you play a little bit higher up the pitch when you want to press, you mm-hmm. put by you when you want to go deep, you put Lindelof. But however, it's still seeming to work. Um, although it wasn't great for the first goal, I'd have to say. But, you yeah. know, back four playing in this, Luke Shaw, Wambasaka in decent form, goalkeeper in decent form. So you, you're in good nick there. You've got Paul Pogba, who I thought let his man run in a dominant first Fulham goal. And there would have been a time when that happening would have put Paul Pogba off where uh, one of them days, maybe not interested, maybe not. You know what? It's a different Paul Pogba now. He's an invested Paul Pogba. He's a Paul Pogba who's demanding of himself and his teammates. He's a Pogba who can now influence games and feel, looks like he's fully fit, whether the COVID um, situation was having him in some respect. And the manager deserves, deserves a lot of credit for that because there's no doubt he, he's not the, the easiest person to manage and he's got a, 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 an agent manager who's always vocal. It doesn't help the situation, makes it volatile. And, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a young manager who's come in and got, had his criticism, whether rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. It's time to give him a little bit of respect, you know, because I always feel with Oli, Pep and, and, and Klopp and Pochettino and Jose and those guys are in a, you know almost in a certain place and Ollie's a little bit of the, you know, sitting on the outside, the little brother. You know, he's at a big club and he's doing good things. And right now, they were at the top of the table and he deserves a bit of credit for that. I think one of the things when you look at this United team as well is that one of, one of the things that's probably been levelled at them over recent seasons is square pegs in round holes. And yeah. I think I think if we look at that throughout throughout recent seasons, you, you would probably have to agree with that. There was players mm. playing your thing at yourself. Why is he playing in that position? Why, why is X, Y, or Z playing playing there when he should be playing somewhere else? When I look at this United team now, every player is playing in their favoured position, their, their their position of strength, which going which is going to help the rest of the team. I think he's improved numerous amounts of players. I think he's brought some of the younger players on there, playing with huge confidence. And obviously, I, I know Robbie that you want to talk about you know one of the players from from Manchester yeah. United who who's been yeah, my underappreciated player of the week. Yeah, uh, I'll get yeah, to that. I agree yeah. with you one hundred percent. Yeah, it's interesting. Just before I get to my underappreciated player of the week, I just want to talk to you. And, and you did a breakdown, a really good breakdown in, in the studio in terms of 
the Pogba and Fred that many people thought couldn't play together. And at times, Fred drifts out in the wide, Pogba can come in, vice versa. Can that work on big days when you're going against teams that are going to contest more possession, maybe have a little more dangerous, um, some danger threats than Fulham? Can you go with a Bruno, Pogba and one other in midfield? Or do you, at those days, you have to play two holding and play Pogba in maybe one of those wide spots? I think... I think it becomes a problem. And what you just said then, then about Fulham's opening goal would yeah. lead me to, to, to give that explanation, which is he allowed mm. his runner to go. And that's yeah. why I think that, that Solskjaer goes with Fred and McTominay. What, what I wanted to ask you, as previous obviously when you were playing yeah. central midfielder, and this is why I say that having Pogba and Fernandes in the same team creates yeah. a real problem for midfielders because... Mm-hmm. You as a central midfielder, who's the most important player for you to stop? Is it Pogba because you don't want him to start dictating play? Or is it Fernandes yeah. higher up the pitch who you don't want to get the ball in the, in the number 10 position? As a central midfielder, who would be yeah. your first port of call? To I, would say, I would say Bruno, because I think Bruno is a bigger link and, and, and I, w- I would want to deal with him first and then say, OK, right, how do we next get Pogba? But the problem is, a, a very good Paul Pogba that we're starting to get gives me a headache. Because he now starts to pass that ball, make those runs, and, and, and now I've got two problems. I've got a double pivot in there. It's going to give me all kinds of problems. And basically, he's going to say to me as an attacking midfield player, I can't get forward anymore because I've got to do a job. My manager be joking here, be get tight to him, don't get let him go forward. I'd have no chance of, of moving on. So by playing the two of them, you can, be, you can destroy the, the opposition midfield if those two are both on the games. Absolutely. I think one of the things as well is that before Fernandez came, I think a lot of people would look at Manchester United and say, right, okay, we stopped Rashford and we stopped Pogba, mm. we stopped Manchester United. Now there are players getting more freedom because you have to stop Pogba, you have to stop Rashford, you have to stop Fernandez, you have to stop Cavani. So all of a sudden, you, you can't yeah. prioritise every single one of those Manchester United players. So somewhere along the line, one of the United players who are a danger man are going to find themselves with that little bit of extra time and space mm-hmm. in the ball. And bringing more quality players in, quality players improving, has mm-hmm. has really, really benefited the rest of the team because they're finding yeah. themselves now where where they may have been, stop him and we stop United. It's like, oh, we can stop two of them, but we can't stop the other three. So it's really interesting time. And that's what top teams do. Manchester City, Liverpool, uh, yeah. at their best, it was that if you stopped one, somebody mm-hmm. else came up. And, and that's the case. I want to talk about a guy who probably is never going to be the Pogba or the Bruno or the Cabani or the Rashford. He's never really going to be the headlights. But my old friend Fred in midfield, bless him. I've got to love Fred at the moment. Do you know what? Uh, the first goal, Dan, that, that, that United scored came about from... Bruno Fernandes having a shot that came back off the post. Fulham looking to clear the ball. Fred runs 15 or 20 yards to put a block on, I think it was a left-back or left-sided um, defender, to, to stop the ball going forward. They keep the ball in the attacking third. Bruno does a little one-two. Goalkeeper makes a mistake. Cabani scores. Goal. All based on Fred's ability to just compress the play, put in 20 yards of hard work and win the ball. And he had a game where... At times when Pogba goes, he's got to do the hard work. He goes across the field. He puts out fires. He blocks holes between the centre-backs. And he's one of those players that we've all had him in our teams, but sometimes fans don't quite ever really understand or appreciate them. And, and people in the media will sometimes go, Fred, what does he do? 
when you're centre back and he's in front of you, or I'm an attacking midfield player and I go watch me back, you know we know what the importance of that the role that those guys play. Yeah, and and I think that when you look at Sosha, I think Fred and McTominay as well. I think they're a manager. Yeah. Because I mm. think you can pull Fred to one side and McTominay to one side and say, listen, this is the job I want from you today. Yeah. If, if they ask him to go and find a brick wall and go and run through it, they will do it until they break through it. And yeah. that is, like you've just said, they, they're players that aren't necessarily pleasing on the eye with the job that they do. But the big games, they'll be the first name on the team sheet and they are so appreciated by the players and the likes of Pogba, the likes of Fernandez, Rashford, etc., who want to be able to express themselves. The reason they're allowed to express themselves is because they have the insurance of Fred behind them doing the dirty work for them. Absolutely. So, little pat on the back to Fred. Actually, yeah. also a little pat on the back to Scotty Parker and his team because it was a two-one defeat, and they were still in the game. And Scotty's done a good job since the start of the yeah. season with, with that Fulham team. And I think they're going to be competitive. I think they, they've still got a chance of remaining in the league. So, yeah, a little tip of the hat to Fulham as well. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal. And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move it on, mate, to Leicester City v Chelsea. Again, I think we we're all looking forward to uh, this week. Uh, Leicester City team that were going well. A Chelsea team that won against Fulham. Ten men Fulham in the end, but um, wasn't that convincing. And just be- before the game kicked off, um, Rebecca talked to us about there was, there was news from England and uh, somebody in the know at the Athletic, who's very close to the Chelsea team, was basically saying, if Frank loses this game, he loses his job. I mean, that was how big it was. Now, that hasn't quite been the case. But since then, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of media attention on Frank Lampard's job and his position at Chelsea. So, it was a game he could hardly afford to lose. They did lose. Leicester City were the better team, outplayed them, um, had a better shape and, and, and a better way, looked more hungry for the game. What would you, would you take away from, from Chelsea with Frank and, and also giving him a bit of Leicester love? Because Leicester yeah. City at the moment, mate, are part <laughs> of the conversation. They they are. And I think that probably how, and, and you you help me with this, how I've said it before when, when I got asked the question by, by mm. Rebecca, yeah. are yeah. Leicester in the title race? So, yes, at the moment, they will be considered in the title race. When it comes down to the... 
you know, to to, to the stuff right at the end of the season. Do I believe squeaky bum time? Squeaky bum time. Will Leicester yeah, be there? Squeaky bum time. I, I I don't, and that's not a criticism mm. of Leicester in terms of the quality that they have. I look at yeah. the strength and depth. I look at how well they're doing in the Europa League. That's going to take a toll on them and the strength and depth that they that they have within the team. Mm. They do unbelievable season after season. They sell that one of their best players every year. Their record yeah. transfer is still Tillemans, and if you look at their record transfer and selling their top players. They shouldn't be in the conversation for the top, but they are, and it's absolutely yeah. incredible. They keep finding gems. So, yeah, without doubt, I want to give Leicester some love because they're incredible. The the way they are as a team, the way they, they are as an organisation and the plays they bring in and how they go about their scouting is second to none. Um, and they keep going about things. But Chelsea, there's a, I think with Frank Lampard, last season, he did an incredible job. When he came mm. into in, in, into the job, obviously your top goal scorer, top assist maker had left the club in, in Eden Hazard. Yeah. I think I didn't expect him to finish in the top four last season, so I thought he did unbelievably well. But then you spend all that money in the summer, so there's going yeah. to be instant pressure on him. Had a mm -hmm. you know, had a good start to the season, but it's just fallen away recently. And I just find that Frank's probably just struggling to to find his best start in eleven and yeah, they can be very good going forward, but they can leave themselves wide open defensively, and it, it's that's what your top teams always look to get, and it's what Leicester have got. It's a balance between defence and attack. It's interesting because at times, I think you know Frank Lennon with, with Abraham Hudson Odoi and Pulisic is his front three didn't quite work for him. Um, I sometimes feel like with Frank, he hasn't quite settled on. Who his people are? Werner was Werner was on the bench. Came off um, the bench. Habits started the game. Hasn't quite worked again for, for Kai Habits. And my over overriding thought of Frank is he's working off two and a half years of body of work. Mm. He's, he, he's been in charge of football clubs. One year at Derby in the Championship. One year at Chelsea in the Premier League and got them a very creditable fourth with no transfer activity. And then half a season this year where he spent $300 million and people look at that job different. And, and Robbie must have made a good point. It's a different job. When you spend $300 million on talent, some of the best talent, young talent around Europe, now the expectation goes up, whether you like it or not, whether you're a legend of, of the club or not. Mm -hmm. When I looked at the two managers, and I looked at Brendan Rodgers, and I've known Brendan from a long time when he was a youth team scout uh, coach at, at Chelsea, and I used to go down and live near Chelsea training ground. I used to watch some of his sessions, become reasonably friendly, and you know I could could call him or say hello and whatever when when he was around. Brendan Rodgers has been coaching football for twenty plus years. Yeah. So when Brendan Rodgers back four and not defending well, I think he's got a. a, a way of working that back forward to get them back to a healthy state. When he's worked with a striker whose goals haven't gone in, he's probably can go back to some times when he's either done extra training, when he's either dropped people, when he's given confidence. He's got a back catalogue of work that he can refer back to that helps him now as a manager. Frank hasn't got that. And when I look at his backroom stand, Staff. Frank hasn't got the backroom staff with that kind of experience. It's not a slight on Jody Moses, he's an excellent young coach. Yeah. I just, it, it, it just like, I was, I was trying to put myself in, in the position of like, if I'm Timo Werner, how is Frank going to help me out, get me out of this funk? 
I'm not sure what he does, what, what's his experience. So he was a great player who, who had a very natural confidence and scored goals. How, how is he going to help Kai Havertz? How is he going to help Timo Werner out, out of these issues? It, it's, it's a difficult one. I think there's two things to look at in this situation. I think senior players, I don't know if you had it when, when you were playing, but there were times yeah. in my career, when, especially when I was younger playing, the senior players mm. in my position would, would be able to help me. Now, yeah. if an, another question I wanted to ask you, Robbie. So, if we look at Leicester City and we look at Chelsea, mm. if I was to yeah. say to you, Vardy, Albrighton, Barnes, Madison, just just those few players. From four, yeah. From, from Leicester. And then I was just to give you, for Chelsea, Ziyech, Werner, Pulisic, mm. Giroud or Abraham, whoever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's an argument to say that Chelsea have an embarrassment of riches going forward, but they have an embarrassment of riches of players that have the same strengths and same weaknesses, so therefore drift mm. into the same areas and don't expand the pitch, like Leicester do with Barnes keeping his width, mm. Vardy stretching the game, Madison drifting into 10, Albrighton keeping his width. Mm. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'll give you a very blunt answer. Mm. I'm not sure I'd slot one of them Leicester players for a Chelsea player, which might answer your question in another yeah. way. I think yeah. I think less players are better. By the way, yeah. I wouldn't take any of the the, the or more effective than, yeah, than, than the uh, less players. And you make a good point about I think at times Frank, you know, if he doesn't play Hakim Hakim Ziyech, he plays Pulisic, who might do a similar thing, or Hudson Odoi. I mean, Hudson Odoi maybe will go on the outside a little bit more. But it's a lot of like for like changes. It, it's not a change of style or system. It's just a change of personnel somebody else doing the same thing. And if that way is not working, I, I just, there's times, and, and, it's, and I hope Frank gets a chance to coach himself out of this. I hope that they don't pull the trigger too early and that he's given the chance to, you know, I've been backed in with the money. Let the guy, or hopefully let the guy show you that he can coach his way out of it. But I just, I'm interested when, when, when um, James Madden came on, on the, um, did the interview after the game yeah. and talked about, Lack of goals, lack of productivity. And he said, he said a really interesting thing where he said, the managers, me, the manager, and the stats guy named Jack, that his name checked him, which was really funny, he said, sat down and we looked at it and we said, where can I be more productive? Where can I get more goals? And they talked about it and they looked through some, some videotape and, and, and gave James Madison almost like a new project. You're a great player, but now to go to the next step, you've got to get goals. You've got to be in these positions. And it's kind of, we're seeing it, it, it play out now in, in where, how Madison's playing, you know, probably as, as informed as he's ever been for Leicester. I'm not saying Frank doesn't do those things, but, but what's, how and what is Frank doing? What's the experience of Frank to go to Timo Werner, who's an international, German international school, goals internationally, scored loads of Bundesliga goals, but struggling in the Premier League. How does he build that confidence? How does he get him in spaces where Werner can, can put that ball in the yeah. back of the net? It's... I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I hope that Frank Lampard is given time and I'm probably speaking for, from, from probably having a little bit of a, a, a soft spot for Frank Lampard wanting to do well. Um, yeah. When he took over at Derby, you know, and I was covering the championship then, I had, I had some really good conversations with him. And the one thing I would say is that himself and Jody Morris, their attention to detail, they, mm. they, they try to leave no stone unturned. It's not for lack yeah. of effort. It's not for a lack of application yeah. because they showed mm. that all the way through their time in the championship. But 
we know that when you do spend money, obviously the pressure the pressure does go on you. And I just hope that he can turn it around and, and you know get back on track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as ever, when we get to this stage of the season and the pressure starts to fall on certain managers and the media start to get their claws in, um, there is a bit of talk about the sack race and who's the next likely manager to, to lose his job. And we've got a partnership with Points Bet Sportsbook who send us odds each week of, of certain situations, whether who's going to win the league, who might get relegated. This week, it's it, the focus on who's the ne- me- next manager to lose their post. And Frank Lampard is mm. a big favourite at minus 182. Steve Bruce is second favourite, plus 225. So plus 225. Chris Wilde is plus 500. And Graham Potter is plus 1400. So despite what Steve Bruce is doing, despite the unpopular position he has with many Newcastle fans, he's at plus. 225 and Frank Lampard's at minus 182. Now, I don't know if that's back off what people were talking about with the um, rumours that he was going to lose his job, but I think there's a sense around Chelsea when that kind of talk starts, there's usually no smoke without fire. And at some point, you know, we know Roman Abramovich is a man who will sack a manager, bring somebody else in and look to win trophies. So, just to does that surprise you a little bit that Frank's ahead of Steve Bruce even at this stage? Of um, probably, it, it's the expectation levels, I guess, from the people that are in charge. I think with Newcastle, we, we know the fans' expectation and we understand the fans' expectation. They want better than what they're currently getting. Whereas I think the powers that be at Newcastle are probably happy for the team to stay in the Premier League. Whereas, you know, with, with Chelsea and with Frank Lampard, with Abramovich, like you've quite rightly said, he, he's he's not afraid of of, of re- relieving a manager of his duties. And because mm-hmm. of the money that's been spent, the pressure will will be on Frank Lampard. There's no question about it. Chris Wilder, I wouldn't even have him in the running at any point. Yeah, plus 500. Yeah. He's, he's not going to lose his job. And, and likewise, I don't think with Graham Potter. So it's, yeah. it's interesting with, with Frank Lampard. Mm. The pressure is on. There's, there's yeah. no doubt about it. But what I would say with Frank Lampard is that he had to deal with that as a player as well. You know, he was always questioned. He was a phenomenal player. He wasn't a phenomenal player just because he was Frank Lampard. He was a phenomenal player yeah. because of how hard he worked. And I'm sure his management style is exactly the same as well. And he just needs a couple of good results. Then, as yeah. we saw with Arsenal, the pressure <laughs> the pressure will go to another yeah. manager along the way. Yeah, for the time being. But with Chelsea, we'll always keep an eye on that. But... Frank yeah. Lampard at minus 182, favourite to lose his job in the Premier League. And the next two games, obviously, Chelsea play. Luton, I think, is in the FA Cup mm-hmm. the weekend. And the next week, they're at home to Wolves, which is a kind of game. It's a bit tricky for, for Frank because it's one of them you think Chelsea should win, but Wolves can have moments, can have days. And if they do, it could be difficult. So, difficult few weeks ahead for Frank. Let's hope he can uh, navigate them and continue to stay in, in his job. A couple of games, mate, just to wrap up before we... Mm. Um, Time Manchester City 2, Aston Villa 0. Manchester City continues to go. I think it's six straight wins for them. Another clean sheet with the, the Diaz and, and Stones uh, centre-back par- partnership. But there was a real talking point in this one, mate. It got it divided football. Got us, I think, in the studio. We were scratching our heads and like, can't quite believe it. And, and Dean Smith, a man you know, um, got himself a red card for, for words he had with the referee. And, it, and it's that, it was the first goal. It was Rodri in an offside position. Runs back. Apparently, the moment Tyrone Mings touches the ball, by the letter of the law, that starts a new phase of play. Rodri's no longer offside. He can then make the challenge. And with that, 
Manchester City goal through Bernardo Silva, get a wonderful goal, go on to get a second to a penalty and in the end win, win the game 2-0. But there was no doubt that first goal changed the course of action, stopped the way that Aston Villa worked and the reason why Dean Smith went mad. Talk us through your interpretation. What's wrong? Why are we scratching our heads? And why do we all feel, say, still feel like it doesn't feel right, even 24, 48 hours after yeah. the game? Robbie, you, I thought you explained it really well, that by the letter of the law, it is offside. But yeah. I go back to what I said straight after you said that, which is I agree, but it's a ridiculous law. Because as, as a defender, when Mings touches the ball, when it hits his chest and, and what have you, people then say, right, well, it's now the start of the next phase. But it's a player coming from an offside position. Tyron Mings shouldn't have to worry about a player behind him because ordinarily you're going to be offside. It's as simple as that. And that's the argument. Dean Smith is a very level-headed manager that we don't tend to see lose it. And when he lost it, I had every sympathy with him because what are we going to start seeing in the future now? It's another point that you touched on. We're just going to see... Yeah, we're going to see coaches stay, be offside and run back round, make a slide tackle and off we go. So, So what you have to do, we know the laws of the game and we know the, the, the way that they're made, but you also have to try and look at the laws of the game from a player's viewpoint. And from a player's viewpoint, if you are, simple thing, if you're offside, you're offside. We've seen so many instances this season where VAR gets the lines out and it's like a millimetre, so he's just offside, or a millimetre and he's just onside. This one, Rodri starts from about 25 yards behind him, runs back, Mings has his first touch, and then they're saying, well, it's a new phase of play. I'm sorry, it isn't a new phase of play. Mings has no idea that he's behind him. So therefore, I don't think Rodri Rodri thinks for one minute when he makes that challenge that he's going to lead to a goal. I think he's just thinking to himself, I'll stop this, it'll stop Villa getting on the attack, and then we can reset. Where where do you uh, start with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And, and I think if not, it's going to encourage that to happen. Or the other thing I, I think as a coach, if, if, I, if I'm an attacking coach, I'll say to my centre forward, stay offside. When the ball comes in, do that run around, see if we can get a block. And if that's not going to happen, I'd say to my defenders, by the way, don't even touch the ball. Let it run through, let's catch him. You know what I mean? We're changing the game, the way the game's been played and, and, and we're kind of almost rewarding bad play. The guy's offside not been able to get back on, on side and, and rewarding him to say, actually, if you sneak up and, and, and wait till he takes a touch, you can nick the ball off him. Just doesn't, again, doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right. I think the interpretation's wrong. It's one of those, I think and I hope, that the Premier League and, and IFAB might look at and, and, and come with a different solution because, as you say, Dean Smith is, is, is a very calm and considered mm. man and for him to lose his head in that way and, and, and obviously be disappointed for his team, um, I think he's right. But all that said, mate, Manchester City had 28 shots during the game. We're excellent. Uh, a game without a centre-forward scoring a goal, Jesus came on having uh, City started with a false nine with Bernardo Silva. It's going to be a bit ominous if one of those centre-forwards, Aguero, gets back, gets back fit after isolation. If Jesus hits a bit of form, it could be a bit scary of Manchester City. And, and the worry, I think, for me and the rest of the league is, between now and Easter, they could get a little gap growing. They're in such good form. They are. And one, one of the things that I love about this Manchester City team is that they find different ways. We spoke about Diaz and Stones, how strong they are mm. as a about partnership. You know, yes, they've started to score a few more goals recently, but we've seen a number of 1-0 wins. We've seen a number of clean sheets. The interesting time for me with Manchester City is going to be, is the way that they're playing now, is it a precursor mm. 
Champions League is in terms of they're trying to perfect a way of playing that's going to give them mm. the, the advantage in, in the Champions League because that's what Guardiola wants for Manchester. He's won the Premier League and don't get me wrong, he'd love to win the Premier League again. But what could be a saving grace for other teams within the Premier League is that when the Champions League weeks come around, is he going to rest players on a Saturday? Is he going to rest players on a Sunday for a Tuesday or a Wednesday Champions League game? Because I think that becomes Guardiola's focus of attention because that's why he was brought into the club. So that might be something that gives teams around them hope. But if you finish above Manchester City this season, you win the league. Yeah, uh, slightly different. I don't think. I think the yeah. Premier League's still important to him. I think he's yeah. got more as is the Foden who don't always talk, the Bernardo Silvers, the two strikers to come back who've had a bit of time out and hopefully uh, arrested. So that's that's quite deep enough to go. You know, one team on in, on a, in the Premier League, another team. You know, with, with Laporte and people still to come into the back line, he's got absolute um, riches there. And um, yeah, be interested to see how Manchester to go, where the focus does go once we get back to Champions League. But I think Pep will be looking yeah. to to kick things on in in the league. A couple more just to, to um, catch up on before we go. Arsenal three 0 winners against Newcastle. Aubameyang with a couple didn't start well. We talked about him earlier, but he he managed to get his goal. That's huge relief for him. Uh, to get a couple of uh, a brace, get his confidence up, clean sheet again for Arsenal. Just feels like Mikel Arteta's getting things done. And a week when Meza Ozil, the the shadow of Meza, and £350,000 a week, and you know, that he was ever hit over the head. You know, divisive whether you loved him or hate him. In the end, it was becoming, I think, a bit of a negative thing for the football club. And I think Mikel Arteta's freshened things up and can move on now and look forward towards the second half of the season. I think I think that he can, and although he wouldn't have enjoyed it at the time, Arteta, um, when when they were going through a real, real mm. rough patch and, and, and mm. couldn't win, were struggling to score goals. Defensively, they'd always been, you know, quite strong. This, in the long run, is going to make is going to make him a better manager. Yeah, I totally agree. There was there was huge adversity. There was huge mm. question marks over him. You know, people were saying, well. He's worked with Guardiola. Now he's trying to do what Guardiola did at Manchester City. He's trying to come and do that at Arsenal. But what he will have learned in these mm. these last few months through adversity mm. is more than he would learn in three or four years of success. I think he's Absolutely. learned a lot about his players. Mm. I think he's mm. learned a lot about the type of players that he wants in the team. I think he's learned a lot about the younger players that have come in and made a real impression. So... As much as Arsenal had been in the in, in you know in the, in the doldrums, they've picked themselves up now. The players have picked themselves up, and the managers picked themselves up. And I think he deserves an enormous amount of credit because a lot of managers wouldn't have been able to respond from the situation that he found himself in in a predicament that that really went against him. Players being sent off left, right, and centre, but he's managed mm-hmm. to sort it out for now, and they're climbing the league. So you absolutely. Know, it's a good shout, and um, he'd have learned something about himself, I think, through those yes. times, and I think that's important. And it's interesting you talk about Mikel in, in that way. It's almost where Frank is now. Frank mm-hmm. will be a better coach if he can get himself through this. Listen, every manager in time is going to get sacked. Every manager has good times, but through the bad times now, can he hang in there? Can he get his team playing? Mikel Arteta has in, in Arsenal, top of, uh, in the top half of the table now, 10th in, in the league, mm-hmm. uh, starting to look forward. Final little word on, on West Ham United and, and, and David Moyes. I mean, what a job he's done from, if you think, from last season and Project Restart and staying in the league and building a team. And he's a bit of spirit. I think you mentioned there's a bit of identity about West Ham United now. 
there's no more passengers if you don't put the work rate in. And in Mikel Antonio and Thomas Suchek and Jared Bowen, they've got hard-working players who've got a little bit of ability who can find the back of the net. And it's a credit to him and the way he's worked that he's got West Ham in such a great, such a great position. It is, and you know, you look at some of the players as well. We look at Suchek. What a player! What a yeah. signing! Twenty-four million dollars. Wow. <laughs> the, the understanding that he's got with Declan Rice, and what you've got here is is a team from West Ham's perspective that are happy without the ball. They're comfortable without the ball. They keep a very good shape. They can play a back three. They can play a back four. They can soak up pressure. But the difference in this West Ham team now is that they can turn defence into attack very quickly. They've got midfield runners. Have you just quite rightly mentioned? They've got they've got Antonio. They've got wing backs or full backs that will get forward. And defensively, they're strong. And David Moyes deserves a lot of credit because when he was first given the job, I, I don't think it went down overly well with West Ham supporters. Mm. But what he's done now, he deserves a whole lot of credit because he's he's got West Ham in, into a position in the league where I don't think many people for possible I don't think it looks like mm. a false position and they are a team that goes from strength to strength they've got great confidence and they're always going to score goals and defensively they've got players that want to defend and that's a huge thing that you know people always say well don't defenders want to defend mm. it's becoming more of a rare breed now but West Ham yeah. have got a number of players that are more than happy to do that so you know he does deserve a lot of credit and you know quite rightly so we're giving David Moyes and West Ham some of that yeah, absolutely. A bit of credit to David Moyes. A bit of hard work for Sam Allardyce. I think he's going to have to look at the, the loan situation and bringing a few players in if he's going to keep West Brom going this season. Listen, mate, that's brilliant to have you on. Brilliant to have you on the shows. Brilliant to have you on the podcast. So that's it for Match Week 19 when both Manchester clubs and Leicester got their three points at the top of the league. But the reigning champions, they didn't go so well for them. And they are now, what, six points away from the summit. We'll be back on Thursday, that's January the 28th. So, date for your diary, Thursday, January the 28th, when we'll look back at match week 20, when the big game seen Spurs and Jose Mourinho host stuttering Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. I'm sure that's one that Jose's going to want to win. We'll look out for that one, as they could leapfrog Liverpool if they get all three points. But for now, I'm Earl. He's Danny, and we're not actually the two Robbies, but thanks for watching and listening. Stay safe and stay healthy. It's a good night from me. It's a good night from him. Good night. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.